as we record, we are minutes away from the start of the college football playoff national championship, the third time in four years between Clemson and Alabama. One story that has not been covered as it should is the connection between the Clemson and Alabama men's basketball programs and Providence's. Um, I'll take you back 25 years to 1994. This was the sixth season for Rick Barnes in charge of Providence College. He had been to two NCAA tournaments in the previous five years. In 1993, everyone thought PC was going to make the NCAA tournament. Bill Raftery was talking about it in the semifinals of the Big East tournament when they were playing top-seeded Seton Hall. And the first things out of Jim Nance's mouth after the, the field was revealed in 1993 was, where is Providence? Well, 1994, Rick Barnes is not about to allow the committee to take away another bid from his and my beloved Friars. Um, in one of the m- most fun weekends of sports viewing in my life, um, in the quarterfinals, Providence beat Villanova in the 4-5 game. In the semifinals, they played number two ranked overall in the country, UConn, number one seeded, which had Ray Allen, Daron Sheffer, Donnie Marshall, probably Kevin Ollie and others. And they knocked them off on the Saturday afternoon. And then on Sunday afternoon, they played Georgetown with John Thompson Jr. at the helm and won that game for the automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. In that tournament, they were seated in the 8-9 game against Alabama, led by uh, Jason Caffey and uh, Antonio McDice and uh, off the bench Jamal Faulkner, who um, was their second leading scorer. He transferred from Arizona State after being uh, kicked out of school and indicted on credit card fraud. Apparently, he and his friends spent $13,000 making long-distance phone calls on their assistant assistant coach's uh, credit card. Uh, remember when long-distance phone calls were like a big thing? Remember MCI and like friends and family? Anyway, um, <laughs> Providence played Alabama in that game and lost. The most frustrating part of that game for me is that it was like the late game, I believe, on Friday night. And they didn't cut away in, in Rhode Island from the earlier game um, of the doubleheader. And that game had a ton of fouls. And I ended up missing like the first maybe six or seven minutes of the, of the Providence-Alabama game, which by the time I got on, Alabama had like a decent lead. And Providence, I don't think, ever really um, took control of that game, despite having uh, future pros, Dickie Simpkins, Michael Smith, Austin Crozier, and Eric Williams, as well as point guard Abdul Abdullah. Anyway, that was the final game of Rick Barnes as head coach of Providence College. Uh, his next game he coached was for Clemson. See? See? You, you, you were questioning where I was going with this. He coached Clemson for four seasons uh, before moving on to Texas. He led into three NCAA tournaments. One other connection. In 1987, Providence was on its way to the Final Four. In the regional semifinals, they played Alabama in Freedom Hall in Louisville. Alabama coached by their all-time winningest coach, Wimp Sanderson. Providence uh, led by, of course, Rick Pitino and and their uh, lead guard, Billy Donovan. On that Alabama team, which Providence defeated before defeating Georgetown and then losing to Syracuse in the Final Four, was Mark Gottfried, who was a, a future coach of Alabama at the time and is now the coach at Cal State University Northridge. So when you're watching the game tonight, or more likely you watched the game last night and are listening to us now, now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 11 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan DeRocher. I'm Tom Borstein. Note to self, never again play word association Providence basketball with Brendan. 
quite a uh, rambling you went on there, Brendan, but it was good. You tied it all together nicely at the end there. So, good job. Quite a rambling there you went on, but it was good. Is that, is that your way of saving that uh, that that comment? Okay. No, okay. I, I thought it was a it was a rambling. Rambling has a negative connotation now, but it could be a, you know, it's fine. Anyway, I was born a rambling man. Try and make yeah. a living just doing the best I can. How much of that game will you be watching after the show, Brendan? Uh, I don't think I'll be watching very much. The big Same. the um the NCAA basketball schedule is uh pretty barren tonight. Trying to force us to watch uh, college football. I used to like this was used to be the first Monday of Big Monday, the first yeah. Monday of January used to be Big East and ACC, and then later um eight, sorry Big East and Big Twelve, and then later ACC and Big Twelve. But instead, we have to wait till next Monday for the first um first Big Monday of the season. What's what is that? That's going to be the 14th. The first Big Monday looks like it's going to be, um, no, it's ESPN Texas. Oh, Syracuse at Duke and Texas at Kansas. It looks like Fox Sports One is trying to go head to head with the Big Ten doubleheader: Nebraska, Indiana, Wisconsin, Maryland. Anyway, no Big Monday tonight. Instead, everyone's got to watch the um, college football playoff. But I'll probably just watch some, maybe some Jeopardy, and then uh, and then go to bed or do other things. So, what about yourself? I will not be watching that much either. No, it doesn't grab me, and I don't really like either program. So, yeah, we'll not be watching. Uh, but don't forget, Brendan, to follow us on Twitter at Double Bonus Pod and subscribe on iTunes, rate and review only if you have good things to say. And you can follow us or find us on the internet at doublebonuspod.com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, it's yeah, a very, uh, it's, we're available when, where we're yeah. available. Yeah. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're all, everywhere. Google Wherever. Play Music. Good podcasts are found, and not so good ones, but wherever podcasts are found. Yeah. Anyway, much like the Merv Griffin Show, Brendan, we've retooled a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off with, uh, we'll go with six is good for this segment. Each yeah, of us I, has... I was thinking three pointers, because they're gonna be, we're just going to make like three storylines or say, give three yeah, points. Three points, but, um, you might say. Yeah, but two, two of us times three is six, and I think it fits more with our love of Seinfeld to call this segment six is good. What are you going to start us off with, what you've seen over the last week of college basketball, Tom? I'm going to start with Nevada falling from the unbeatings and one of the worst losses, I think, in the country all season. Nevada got smoked over the weekend by New Mexico. This is a game they were favored by 14 points. They went to New Mexico and they lost by 27. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the most shocking loss of the uh, season. Certainly the most shocking loss of the weekend. This is a team that came in 14-0. Had some that did not really test it itself and was looking to go through its Mountain West schedule and not be tested again. It had one A game, two A games remaining on its schedule after this, and its two previous A games were at Loyola Chicago and at USC, and they just went to New Mexico and got blown out. Really shocking and really not good for this team, uh, full of transfers and you know projected to steamroll through the Mountain West, possibly be an outside contender or contender for a number one seed, and they just looked terrible. Eric Musselman tore into his team afterward. They did not shoot well. They did not play good defense. They gave up 1.18 points per possession against Paul Weir's team. And this is just not a not a loss you want to take. It's one thing to good teams lose games, sure, but they don't lose by 27, even on the road, to teams like New Mexico, which came in ranked 184th in Ken Palm entering the day. Yeah, New Mexico. I read an article this morning about Paul Weir, who's New Mexico's coach, and he talked about how he really didn't understand his team and he was holding them back because he was playing too much man defense, too much of his kind of patented, well, patented is strong, but he likes to play pressure man defense and they were, it wasn't working and he, he didn't make the adjustments. And so the team started, uh, I think seven and six. 
uh, including losses to Penn and North Texas, uh, who are outside the top 100 in Ken Palm, as well as uh, New Mexico State, and uh, twice, actually, once by 35. Now, Paul Weir's a little bit of a strange character. You know, he's had... You might say he's weird. Yeah. He's had 13 different uh, um, starting lineups in 14 games, and he tends to pick his lineups based on, like, deflection stats in... Um, uh, practice. <laughs> in practice. So this is his third season as a as a coach and um, head coach in Division One college basketball. He had a year at New Mexico State and then uh, two years in New Mexico. I believe he was an assistant previously in New Mexico and at UCLA under Steve Alford. I, I have to look that up. But um, anyway, they basically have gone to a two three zone the last two games and um, and then against Nevada, the two three zone really held up. I don't know if. I mean, it's hard to imagine they played it against Air Force. New Mexico did. It's hard to imagine they wouldn't have been prepared. But Nevada was only at 0.81 points per uh, possession, um, despite having, pre- I think, entered with one of the top 10 or 15 or 20 offenses in the country. They're 13th now. I assume they were probably top 10 entering uh, entering that game. Yeah, the zone really threw them fits. They did not shoot their way out of it. They were 4 of 22 from 3 and just 15 of 35 from 2. So they really had trouble down low. Jordan Carolina was 7 of 17 with 5 turnovers. Caleb Martin went 2 of 14. And it just wasn't pretty. And now we'll obviously see a lot more teams probably try to zone Nevada and see how that works. And we'll see what Nevada... Because Nevada, I think, entered this game with about a 13% chance of running the table in the uh, Mountain West. Um, So obviously not the result they were looking for. They're still going to be a dangerous team. They're still um, a top, top 15 team right now but it's just a really disappointing loss for a team with a thin resume and no chances to uh to build yeah. off it yeah i think that that's that's the big issue is um you know on, on the one hand you thought nevada could go undefeated they could have one or two losses entering the ncaa tournament and get a one seed or, or a two seed but now that they've taken this loss they might have a chance to have a one or maybe there's not many good good wins you could have in, in musk one was play so you might end up with like another bad loss here and there um, and their only A games are uh, at Fresno State and at Utah State uh, coming up. Um, one thing to know about the Mountain West is that it's terrible. Uh, people <laughs> talk about how bad the Pac-12 has been this year, but the Mountain West has gone precipitously downhill year by year. Uh, they used to be a three to five bid league, um, but now it's only had one at-large bid in the NCAA tournament the last three seasons, and I think it'll be probably one this year unless Nevada ends up losing in the conference tournament. You know, it used to be you could go into the you, you knew New Mexico. If I'm looking back, the last year that um, uh, that New Mexico that had Paul uh, Steve Offord as a coach was 2012-2013. That team lost six games, including three in the conference, but still got a number three seed because the Mountain West was the actually the fourth best conference. Um, in Ken Palm, behind only Big Ten, Big East, and Big 12, ahead of the Pac-12, ahead of the ACC, as hard as I believe, and ahead of the SEC. Um, and then here we fast, flash forward to 2019, and Mountain West is the 11th best conference it's, uh, between actually another down year from the Atlantic 10 and actually the Ivy League is 12th. Uh, it, it's it's very strange how that's happened, with especially with a bunch of teams in that league who really do focus on uh, basketball. You look at UNLV, Nevada, New Mexico, Fresno State, Utah State, San Diego State. San Diego State. The, all these programs have pretty proud traditions in in, uh, in basketball. Anyway. And just one more thing on this. This is, and to make my case, this is the worst loss for a top team in the country this year. Only one other team in Ken Palm, the top 15 of Ken Palm as of today, has lost to a team outside the top 100. 
if you want to guess quickly. Mm. Otherwise, I'll just tell you who it is. Let me see if I can take a, a quick look and see if I can guess. Auburn, Kentucky, no, uh, Iowa State, Wisconsin lost to Western Kentucky. You nailed it. Yes. Good job, Brendan. Yeah. Good job. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what's what was the first thing that grabbed you this weekend, Brendan? Well, um, around the country, I'm well known for my love of, of all things Michigan. Um, and so I figured <laughs> what way, what better way to start this than to talk about how good Michigan basketball is right now. Michigan, Michigan State, and we'll even throw in a little a mid-major Michigan school there here at the end. So Michigan State last week blew out Northwestern by 26th on Wednesday, went to Ohio State, one by nine, and this was without Josh Langford, one of their best players. Um, Cassius Winston is has having a terrific season um, as their point guard. He's really probably been their best point guard since Kalen Lucas back in 09 and 2010. Um, Nick Ward has been ridiculous down low um, in the post, offensively, you know, when he and Tillman play together, Xavier Tillman, they can be imposing around the rim, but also can be exposed in space. But that's probably also their best five, which is a problem that Michigan's had the last couple of years where like last year, their best five probably had Nick Ward and Miles, like your best five players included Nick Ward and Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson Jr. But it was hard to keep all three players on the floor at the same time, um, especially with more and more teams spreading you out. So that's a, that's a question I still have about Michigan State going forward. But right now on offense, they've been one of the best teams in the country, uh, a great three-point shooting team, as well as being um, really good inside. They're um, 11th in the country in three-point shooting, 12th in the country in two-point shooting, third in the country in assists per field goals per field goal made uh, 30 uh, 31st in offensive rebounding and then they're seventh in um field goal defense including fourth in two-point defense uh they've been doing it at both ends of the floor um tillman and ward are both good shot blockers as is kenny goins they've been getting really good play from uh, matt mcquade and so even without josh langford they've been terrific they haven't lost a uh, a, a Big Ten game to a team other than Michigan since uh, January 7th of last year. That's one year to the day, the last time that they lost a Big Ten game to a team other than Michigan. They have lost to Michigan twice in that span. They don't play Michigan, and that's our, the, the team that's our next topic, uh, my next item in this Michigan topic, um, until they play them twice in the last four games of the season, September 24th at Ann Arbor, and then March 9th, the last game. February 24th, um, not September 24th. September 24th would be a really really weird time to play (laughs) Michigan. Um, (laughs) February 24th at Michigan, and then March 9th um, at home against Michigan. Michigan, meanwhile, um, this this week, they beat uh, uh, Penn State by 13 uh, in a game where Pat Chambers pushed a player and was then suspended. And they beat Indiana by 11 in a game that was uh, not really that close for, throughout most of it. Um, they are an interesting team on both ends of the floor. Not both sides of the ball, both ends of the floor. Um, <laughs> they have, you could argue, the best or one of the top, say, three or four defenders at three of their five positions. Uh, Xavier Simpson at point guard, Charles Matthews on the wing, and John Teske at center. And it's why their defense has been uh, ridiculous. It kind of had a mediocre uh, December after a really, really good start, but then it's been back again um, against Indiana and Penn State. Uh, they did give allow more than a point per possession against Indiana, but that's a, a pretty dynamic offensive team. Um, and in the first half, when the game was still close, they only allowed 29 points, uh, outscoring Indiana 44 to 29. The defense, the, sorry, the Michigan's offense has been 
kind of surprisingly good. Last year, their offense really struggled as they focused on defense so much. They only ended the season 35th uh, on offense while being third on defense. And this year, they're already 20th. Now, part of that is Jordan Poole has really stepped up. He's been really good the last few games playing like an NBA player. Uh, Ignas Bradzikis has been really mature as a freshman, able to, to do really nice things off the ball, especially shooting very efficiently. Um, and Xavier Simpson, who was really a weakness last year on offense, uh, kind of a one-way player, uh, this year has been uh, has been a lot better. He's had a better assist-to-turnover ratio, and he's shown off uh, actually a hook shot. Um, he's a six-foot player who's who had multiple running hook shots against Indiana and has shown that off uh, this season. Um, so that's a couple of interesting things about uh, about Michigan coming up this week. Michigan's at Illinois on Thursday. They host Northwestern on Saturday. Michigan State hosts Purdue on Tuesday and is at Penn State on Sunday. Um, and again, Michigan's one of the last three undefeated teams in the country. And it looks like they might be able to go uh, at least a few more games without uh, potentially losing. They, again, at Illinois on Thursday, Northwestern at home on Sunday. The following Saturday, they're at Wisconsin, which is kind of a toss-up game. Then they host Minnesota, and then they are at Indiana, um, and they host Ohio State to finish out the Can, can we talk about the schedule for a second here? They're going to play Northwestern twice, Indiana twice. Ohio no, they haven't played. Yeah, Ohio State. They haven't played looking at the right, yeah. No, no, I haven't played. I missed me that. In Indiana twice, Northwestern twice. Um, is that it? Yeah. Wisconsin twice before they play Michigan State once. Yeah, they play Michigan State and Maryland twice after they've already played uh, Wisconsin, Northwestern, and um, what was the third team? Oh, uh, Indiana twice. Yeah, it's. I don't uh, understand why they can't space these games out more. Like Indiana. Yeah. Finnessy uh, was out. Their point guard was out this week, and maybe he's not back the second time they play him. They play him like three weeks apart, or three and a half weeks apart. That's not really fair to uh, to Indiana to you know have an injury probably possibly affect him twice in this morning against the, one of the two best teams in the conference, three best teams in the conference. So, uh, what what is the reason they can't space these games out better? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to uh, uh, arena availability. I don't know. I have no I have no idea, Tom. I guess it could be that, but uh, yeah. it seems weird. Anyway. Um, my last kind of bonus Michigan point is about Detroit Mercy. So Detroit Mercy, you, you may or may not know, is coached by Mike Davis, the former coach at uh, Indiana, as well as uh, UAB, uh, and at Texas Southern, which he left this year to go to Detroit. Texas Southern, strangely, has three really high major wins this year. They beat A&M and Baylor and Oregon under Johnny Jones, the former LSU coach. But um, but. Mike Davis has gone to Detroit Mercy, a team that was ranked 330th in Ken, Ken Palm before the season. He has up to 224th. Why? Well, in large part because of a freshman on his team named Antoine Davis. That's his son, who has 78 three-pointers through 15 games, and he has an outside shot of breaking Steph Curry's record of 162. Um, I was looking at the all-time three-point made list for a single season, and uh, some of the names that stick out, actually not that many stick out. Fletcher McGee is fifth with 148. Buddy Heald tied for sixth with 147. Fletcher McGee plays still for Wofford. Um, Rob McKeever, who uh, was at Providence and was terrible, transferred to Houston and made 145 somehow. J.J. Reddick's on there, Mitch Marshall Henderson. Anyway, Antoine uh, Davis um, helped Detroit Mercy defeat Wright State, who's the second highest rated team in Ken Palm by 21. On Thursday, they did lose to Northern Kentucky um, by 22, uh, the best team in the uh, in the Horizon League on 
uh, Saturday. The one thing I want to mention before we move on from this is that uh, Northern Kentucky is in Highland Heights, Kentucky, which I think is a little bit redundant, and they're called <laughs> the Norse. Um, and they're, <laughs> they're the Northern Kentucky Norse, and they're in Highland Heights, Kentucky. Um, but anyway, it's been a great uh, turnaround for Detroit Mercy. Um, and they might have a winning record in conference after a year after last year when they went um, four and fourteen in conference and eight and twenty-four overall. We're gonna in our outro tonight. It's gonna be fabulous. It's going to be one of Mike. Listen Davis, to the end for this. Yeah, yeah. you got the outro at the end. You got to stay all the way to the end. Mike Davis's reaction. Well, you can't actually see it. You have to hear it. It's not. It's it's better in, in video, but it's a podcast. We can't do anything about that. Indiana's playing Duke, two thousand two regional semifinal, Rupp Arena. Um, Matt Gukas is on the call. Matt Gukas is on the call with uh, Dick Enberg. And um, uh, Duke is down by four. And Indiana uh, fouls Duke on a three-pointer. Jason Williams makes it. And Mike Davis's reaction is priceless. He goes and he like he like kneels down and pounds his fists on his own chair. And then he gets up and can, what can only be described as a as a squat walk. He's like squatting and walking in, in frustration. But then Jay Williams missed the uh, the free throw and Indiana escaped anyway. Uh, so listen for that Dick Enberg uh, and Matty Gukas call at the end of this. Um, what do you got for us, Tom? Uh, Florida and the SEC. It's been an up and down year. It seemed like they were getting things turned around. Then they blew leads in both halves of 10 points in both halves, including a 14-point lead with 10-16 to go to lose to South Carolina. They just were went totally cold. They missed 11 of the last 12 shots in their final 11 minutes of play. Um, and they did not look good. And they missed some key free throws. They really blew this game. And this is a South Carolina team that is not good. So, And Florida now is looking at a pretty brutal schedule at Arkansas, which is dangerous, though not great, but still dangerous. And they have Tennessee at home. Then they're at Mississippi State, who's a top 20 team in Ken Palm. So I would be a little concerned about Florida. Their calling card is supposed to be their defense, but their offense is just so uneven that I'd be very worried about them in the SEC, which is deeper uh, than people realize possibly. And they could start trickling down uh, into a part of the SEC they don't want to be. They've lost already to Oklahoma, Butler, and Michigan State. They lost to Florida State in their opener. They have no good wins right now, no A wins on Ken Palm. They're going to get some opportunities in conference play, but you can't be losing to South Carolina. This is a South Carolina team that's 114th in Ken Palm right now. They just famously lost to uh, Wyoming. Um, they lost four straight. Um, they lost to Wofford. They lost to Providence, which is obviously a great loss. Stony and Brook. Uh, Stony, Stony Brook. They've had some really bad losses. They're really they uneven. They lost to Wofford by 20. Yeah, this is a. I, yeah. It's not a good team, and you shouldn't be losing these games at home in the SEC, um, uh, especially entering a tough part of your schedule. Like they, have, they have probably have the toughest start to an SEC conference schedule. Uh, well, after the South Carolina game. Yeah, Chris Silva on the last play of the game. It was tie 69. I was watching the end of this game and. Uh, uh, it was a baseball pass down court, and Silva kind of pinned his the two guys guarding him like up court, I guess you would say, or um, kind of. But he was he was between the players and the basket, and he kind of pushed off, grabbed the ball, and dunked it. Um, and uh, South Carolina somehow won. It was uh, I think Florida might have also missed a free throw um, in that time as well when they were they trying did, to. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Florida. I think was my one of my teams I picked in my in the final four pool uh, this year. It's not looking so hot for the Gators. My number two is about um, NC State. So NC State played uh, Miami on Thursday night at Miami in a game that I uh, 
I watched uh, from uh, tip to buzzer. I guess that's what they say, right? Tip to buzzer. Yes. Um, and... DVR or just straight through without commercials, with commercials. Oh, DVR. You know me, Tom. Come on. I'm just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> just checking it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so North Carolina State moved to 13-1 and one, um, with that five-point win at Miami. They, they actually trailed um, for large portions of the game. They were as low as 11.8% uh, to win the game when they trailed by 10 with 10 minutes to go. Uh, but they finished the game on a 23-8 um, to eight run, which isn't really that surprising when you consider how thin Miami is and how deep North Carolina State is. NC State's one of the deepest teams in the country. Um, they get... Their bench minutes is 14 in the country, um, and they really do go 10 deep. They play 10 players. Uh, their 10th player, Blake Harris, who's missed, who missed one game, plays about 30% of minutes, which is uh, about 12 minutes a game. So they have basically 10 players averaging 12 minutes or more per game. Um, under Kevin Keats, the former Rick Pitino assistant, a few things I noticed in this game. Uh, that I want to mention. Well, one is, we'll talk about maybe a little bit later, is North Carolina State hosts North Carolina on Tuesday, maybe the most anticipated game of the entire week. Uh, obviously, obviously a big rivalry. NC State feels like it should be on the same plane as North Carolina. They're actually ranked, I think they're ranked higher than North Carolina right now, at least in Gary Parish's top 25. Um, and uh, and so that's a big game. One, another thing, I've, I've been seeing this more and more often. We saw it in Mexico, New Mexico game as well. Jerseys where the number is like impossible to see, like what, or the name is impossible to see. NC State had black names on black jerseys. New Mexico had like really thin outline of red on yellow jerseys. Um, I saw a game this weekend, Texas Tech against Kansas State, where Texas Tech was wearing like kind of like a dark gray, and Kansas State was wearing kind of like a medium purple, and it was even on a color TV, it was hard to tell them apart. We need to work on the jerseys. I know that you got to sell them. You gotta make the kid the kids happy when they visit. But uh, anyway, uh, NC State features. Yeah, we got NC State fifteenth in the latest poll. North Carolina twelfth. Okay. So so AP poll North Carolina is still higher. That's a it's that Dean Smith bias is what they'll tell you at Reynolds uh, Coliseum. Um, so uh, NC State has has seven transfers. Um, there are a lot of kind of transfer heavy teams this year. It feels like even more so than past Nevada. Obviously another one. Um, and uh. Oh, another thing I, met, I saw at halftime of this game, ESPN, ESPN, I think it's ESPN. U had this thing called quote conference forecast, where Dalen Cuff and Sean Farnham were. It's, it's um, actually Dalen Cuff, Columbia's own. Oh, sorry, Dalen from Winter Haven, Florida. I called his uh, games when he was a uh, guard. We were in the same class. So. Oh well, uh, Dalen <laughs> Cuff, uh, Winter Haven, Florida, used to be the home of the Boston Red Sox in spring training. I've been there. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. So Dalen Cuff and sorry and Sean Farnham were doing kind of like a weather-themed breakdown of the conferences, and they went through the ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12. They did not talk about the Big East. Uh, they did talk about two teams outside of those five conferences, Buffalo and Gonzaga, and that was it. Anyway, also in this game, Teddy Valentine was doing the game, so there was about 35 reviews because he's got to get as much camera time as possible. Um so North Carolina State won on the basis of offensive rebounding. They forced a lot of turnovers generally, but in this game they didn't. Uh, in this game they got a lot of offensive rebounds, and that's how they won and came back late. Um, and so anyway, I guess my point is NC State is an interesting team to watch. We'll see how for real they are. Miami is not great. They went on to lose to Louisville. They're very thin. Uh, Dewan, uh, Dewan Hewell, now named it Dewan Hernandez, had his appeal to for eligibility um, 
denied, and so he's not going to play the rest of the year. So they're depending a lot on, uh, for instance, Chris Likes, who's a, about 5'6 or 5'7. Jim Larinaga says he was, if he was 6'5 or 6'6, he'd be Michael Jordan. I, I don't know about that, but he does have a pretty good two-point percentage for a guy who um, is so small. He's kind of a little, uh, little. I wouldn't say a little Isaiah Thomas. He's like the same size as Isaiah Thomas. The the, um, <laughs> the Washington slash Celtics slash Cavs slash, I don't know, the, maybe the Nuggets now. But anyway, that's my second point. NC State's interesting. Miami is thin. Uh, the ACC is is uh, pretty good, but also pretty top heavy. Well, yeah, they got five to four teams in the top eight in Ken Palm right now. Virginia Tech, we haven't talked about, still very good. Thirteen and one. Duke, twelve and one. Virginia, thirteen and zero. And NC North Carolina, eleven and three. And then NC State's eighteenth in Ken Palm. They're thirteen and one. So it is a really stacked top of the conference. And we learned Brendan has pet peeves about uniforms, which I also share, and I have pet peeves about round robin scheduling. Mm. So yes. Uh, Brendan, the third thing that grabbed me was Kentucky's momentum getting derailed in a loss at Alabama. So Kentucky had been playing pretty well. They beat North Carolina in a neutral. They were doing good things, and they went to Alabama and did not play well at all in a game that they usually dominate. They usually play very well against Alabama. They'd won 10 straight against them, but the streak was snapped. And Kentucky had also beaten Louisville before this game and a game at Utah. They're now 2-3 and three away from Rupp Arena. They're 2-3 and three in games against top 50 Ken Palm teams. Um, Alabama looked really good. Tevin Mack had 20 of 22 points in his first half, and then Dazon Ingram had all of 11 of his points after halftime. And, I don't know, Kentucky, just when you think they're having it turned around, they stumble a little bit. And this SEC has Tennessee, which may be the best team in the country or second-best team in the country. They have Auburn, who, while not really tested, is flying pretty high. Uh, so Kentucky is not looking in the driver's seat right now to win the SEC. Uh, Reed Travis, the transfer, had been playing well, 15 points, then had five turnovers. Um, Kentucky just up and down a little bit. They haven't gelled the way you think they would have so far this year. Uh, and just when you thought they'd be optimistic, they stumble like this in a in a not a great loss at Alabama. Yeah, I will say the the wins of by South Carolina over Florida and by Alabama over Kentucky, which will not help the top teams in the conference's seedings in the NCAA tournament. They do show the SEC has uh, pretty good depth and talent. It's always been like a fairly very talented conference. Even that the the Alabama team in '94 that I mentioned, um, they had uh, they were like an eight or nine seed, but they had three pros: Jason Caffey, Roy Rogers, and um, Antonio McDice. You know, SEC teams tend to be loaded. Uh, talent-wise and tend to underperform their talent a lot of times. That's a stereotype. Maybe it's not true. It feels true. So, you know, as Stephen Colbert would say, um, you know, whatever feels true must be true. But one thing one thing I want to note is uh, Kentucky's three-point percentage defense. Um, people will point to this and say no, Kentucky's not good at defending the three. They're 325th in the country, allowing 38.4% against Alabama. Uh, the Crimson Tide shot 10 of 23, which is 43.5%. Um, you know, on the one hand, sure, you know, this is a fairly large statistical sample and, and you probably should be better at uh, defending the three over that type of sample. On the other hand, there's um, there's no track record of Kentucky not being good at defending the three. Um, they were fourth last year, 12th the previous year, 68th the previous year, and first the year before that. That was the year they were undefeated until the, um, uh, until the final four. And they haven't finished outside the top uh, – Hundred since John Calipari got there. This is this is the, his tenth season, and so perhaps this team is, is strangely terrible defending the three, while every other John Calipari team in Kentucky is is either good or great at it. But I do think that some of this is a little bit of bad luck, and and 
um, across 30 games. It'll tend to even out a little bit more. Um, especially this, this team is good defensively. They're 24th in the country. Um, you know, Ashton Hagens is one of the best guard defensive players in the country as a freshman. Um, Keldon Johnson is also a very good defender, uh, as is, um, I, I would say Emmanuel quickly is, is a pretty good defender as well. Um, so anyway, I, I just want to say that people who are saying Kentucky, why can't they defend the three? I think they probably can defend the three okay, and it probably won't look so bad after another five or six games. So if Kentucky's so bad this year, and they were so good in the years leading up to this year, what do you make of the? How do people explain that kind of thing and saying that there's really no skill in defending the actual percentage of three points make? Yes, you can run people off the line, you can limit the threes your opponents take, but how can they be a consistently, you know, top 60 team and even in the top 10, top 12, three of the last four years, and then have this total change? Is it all luck? But how do they forget this year? How about how do they stay so good the previous three years? See, I mean, I think that they're that there are just like there are certain pitchers who can pitch ahead of their uh, peripherals um, in baseball. I think there are certain coaches, especially with certain type of talent that can play ahead of their peripherals when it comes to defending the three. You look at coach K uh, Duke is like, is the John Calipari is the number two outlier. He doesn't. So there's two ways of defending the three. One, you can, like you said, you can not allow a lot of threes or two, you can allow a low percentage. Uh, either way is a good way to defend the three. Uh, uh, John Calipari tends to be a, someone who actually allows a very low percentage, but a, kind of an, a mediocre amount of threes. He's not preventing that many threes. Whereas Coach K is, tends to be a type of, of coach who both allows a very low percentage and a very few number of threes. Um, and so what we see here is, uh, for, for Coach K, for instance, he has had, um, in the, since, let's see, since 2009-2010, the same span as, as um, John Calipari, he's only had one team finish outside the top 65 in three-point percentage allowed. And in that time, even more impressive, every team he's coached, except for the last two actually, have been in the top 25 and fewest three-pointers allowed. The last two teams have been more zone-heavy. Last year they went to the zone to great effect actually to – um, because they weren't they weren't doing very well with a couple of bigs out there in Bagley and Wendell Carter and defending in space a lot. Uh, also, uh, some of the other players they had uh, in the perimeter weren't very good defenders. They were 150th, so they're in the mediocre. And this year they're 74th. So it's interesting that um, now that he's going zone, it's not surprising that they've given up more threes, but they're still allowing quite a low percentage. So I think that you know you compare it to say two point defense. Let's say two point defense is like. Uh, 80% controlled by you and 20% luck. Three-point defense might be like 40% controlled by you and 60% luck or something like that. That's uh, fair. It's yeah. a fair number. I think people do get carried away. And my point is that people do get carried away and say, no, it's just a lottery. Just keep them. If you don't want to make, if you don't want teams to shoot well against you, don't let them shoot threes. I think there's more to it than I think that's an over. Like many things in the statistical world, mm-hmm. it might be an oversimplification. Yeah. Um. My last point has to do with the Big East, uh, St. John's especially, since we last spoke. We were speaking right around the time that St. John's was playing Marquette at home. They ended up winning that game by uh, 20. And then against Georgetown, in a game they really had no right to win, Georgetown kind of gave it away. A, a trend under Patrick Ewing, a team that – he's had his team in a lot of games, and then they've blown a lot of those games late. Uh, St. John's defeated Georgetown 97-94 to in overtime uh, on Saturday. Um, in front of Ian Eagle and Bill Raftery uh, in, in D.C. Um, one of their backup guards, Mikey Dixon, who had transferred in from Quinnipiac, transferred out. 
um, but uh, Saint of Saint John's, they're already a very very thin team. But on the on the positive side, Sadekita, who's a transfer in from South Carolina, it was back and played and seemed to play pretty effectively. I didn't watch every second of the game, but he seemed to be pretty effective for Saint John's as a as a big. And they haven't had really much size at all, and so it was really important to have a guy like Sadekita who can. Um, guard a guy like um, Jesse Govan. Uh, and in this game, he played uh, 25 minutes, um, and they actually got uh, four, 54 minutes from their bench, which is a lot more than they, what they've been getting. Um, meanwhile, Shamori Pond scored 37 on just 21 um, attempts from the field, and he had six assists and two turnovers. So the two things that uh, Pond struggles with, which is um, turnovers and efficiency, he was good at. Um, and so, obviously, that was a problem for him in the Seton Hall loss. You know, his only loss of the year, as controversial as it was. Um, but I do see St. John's now as being slightly more legitimate because of uh, not so much the comeback over against Georgetown, but um, you can kind of call that comeback in the Seton Hall loss kind of a wash. Two close games. They won one. They lost one. But the Marquette win is pretty impressive, and they have a big game coming up on Tuesday um, at Villanova that should tell us a lot more. Um, my other point on the Big East is that it just seems like a very, um, like, it's kind of the, the not-as-good version of the Big 12. The Big 12 now, we'll talk about Kansas a little bit later, does seem a lot more up for grabs than it did a couple weeks ago. The Big East is up for grabs as well from top to bottom, um, but it's more because of mediocrity. Um, Villanova is 2-0, the only uh, undefeated team in the conference and conference play, and Providence is 0-2, the only winless team. And it, right now, all 10 teams are picked to go between 6-12 and 12 and 12-6. Twelve and uh, in conference play. I mean, there'll probably be an outlier out there at the top or the bottom, um, but we saw DePaul knock off Seton Hall. We saw um, Georgetown beat Butler on the road. Um, we saw Xavier win at DePaul, but then get blown out by Marquette. Um, and obviously we've seen Marquette um, blow out Xavier, but then get blown out by St. John's. Um, so it, the biggie says it could be interesting and fun, but it's not set up well for like a national... Um, national recognition when you're going to have a bunch of teams beating up on each other you might get a lot of bids they're going to be low seeds and probably not a lot of teams hanging around for the second weekend of the ncaa tournament yeah not a pretty end to this game from georgetown i actually was watching most of this game but then missed the end but i see they um had a bad turnover late in the game and missed some free throws and wasn't it wasn't pretty this is their third overtime game of the year by the way to back up what you said about patrick ewing's team playing a lot of close games yeah, and last year too, I remember watching a bunch of Georgetown games. If I can, they lost um, an overtime game to Syracuse, a two overtime game to Butler. They won a two overtime game over St. John's, lost an overtime game to Xavier and to Marquette. They also lost uh, five by a five point game at home to Providence, a four point game on the road to Providence, a one point game at home to DePaul. Uh, they did have a couple of close wins. They had a lot of close games. It's just I, I don't know if there's like a close game rating that the Campom has, but I think Georgetown did pretty high last year. Um, oh, one other point. Uh, Butler, as we mentioned, they uh, again Creighton's on one of these teams. So Creighton goes to Providence and wins impressively, and then um, and then Creighton goes to um, Butler and loses by 15. In that game, Laval Jordan, much like Ed Cooley did in the Big East tournament final last year against Villanova, split his pants. And uh, I feel I think you have some comment on that, uh, on Tom. Yeah, I split my pants twice, and uh, not great timing. Once was the first day of my internship. I was riding before my senior year in college. I was riding the Long Island Railroad, and their seats actually were famous for ripping your pants if you got your pockets stuck in them. So I ripped the pants and I had to buy new ones before I went downtown for my internship. And then at a, uh, a uh, work bowling outing, I, my jeans just ripped right down the crotch from 
but yeah, from right in the uh, inner part of the leg, wasn't great. And I had no other jeans at the bowling alley, so I just wore ripped jeans for the rest of the night. So yeah. Laval Jordan at Cooley in, in uh, good company, or I'm in good company with them, I could say. Yeah, sometimes they the, the pants are made explicitly to be ripped in that spot, Tom. I don't know if you know about that. <laughs> um, moving on to our next segment, which is which we're calling the No Homers Club, uh, a Simpsons homage. Even though I, I'm not, I, I I like the Simpsons. I haven't watched all the episodes. I'm not a huge like a fanatic, but uh, I do like this reference. No Homers Club is going to be the time when uh, Tom and I talk about the teams we we care most about and we follow the most closely. Why don't you start us off, Tom, with uh, some Kansas and Columbia thoughts? Sure. Uh, Kansas, not a good weekend. They lost by 17, I believe, at Iowa State. Uh, and then what seemed to be a minor injury for Doka Azubuke, his wrist turned out to be a torn ligament, so he's out for the year. Uh, remember, he missed time earlier with a high ankle sprain. It didn't seem like it was serious, and all of a sudden, Sunday night, I got a push notification saying Doka Azubuke out for the year, so that's not good. Um, they're now 3-2 and two in games without him after they lost at Iowa State. They really wasn't the big man problem that lost in this game. They had 33.1% on their 33.1% of their possessions. They had a turnover. That was very ugly. It's their highest in a game since 2014. I remember that in Kansas fans will remember the 2012-2013 team with the Elijah Johnson, uh, Ben Mclemore backcourt did not exactly handle the ball too well. And even that team never got that high. It was the sixth highest for them in the Ken Palm era. So that goes back entirely into through Bill Self's time and into Roy Williams. So that is a pretty ugly game. Uh, and I will, but we'll moving from now on, we'll see how this Kansas team adjusted against Oklahoma. They actually took Azubuki out of the game down the stretch and played a lot of uh, four guard lineup with uh, Diedrich Lawson down low. Some people were debating on Twitter who's more important to this team, Diedrich Lawson or Azubuki. Um, some people have said that Lawson is the most imp- is the best player, but Azubuki is the most important player, which seems odd to me. I think Diedrich Lawson's the most important player. Um, he plays actually better without Azubuke on the court. Azubuke needs Lawson to play better. Uh, so my point is Kansas is going to have to play, get better play from its backcourt if they want to continue to be a national title contender uh, this year. Like Diedrich Lawson, no, sorry, D- Devon Dotson and Grimes have not lived up to their hype so far, though Grimes did play okay on Saturday. LeGerald Vick is not um, going to keep shooting the way he did early in the season. They just need to get more three-point shooting from Grimes and um, Dotson specifically, if they want to have a shot to compete, and obviously Lawson, who's done pretty much nothing wrong, needs to continue to play well. But that's what I think about Kansas right now. I think we're going to see a little bit more emphasis on some guard play, and we'll see how those guards respond. Yeah, I think it's the problematic part, looking at the numbers. Maybe you can help fill me in on, on this. Marcus Garrett and Charlie Moore, I guess they're in there for defense, because neither one of them is a good sh- is a good shooter from the perimeter. Uh, or from two-pointers. Um, Marcus Geyer is a 43.1 true shooting percentage, and Charlie Moore is a 42.7 true shooting percentage. Uh, you know, usually something in the low 50s is about average. Um, what, what's going on with them? They're still playing a lot of minutes, I guess, because they have any, any, they know their options, or they're really good defensively? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really trust him in big spots. He took um, Garrett out of the game last year against Duke in the regional final. He was trying to cheat and get some minutes with him and did not... Uh, trust him there. He doesn't really trust Charlie Moore. Moore is playing well defensively, but is not shooting the ball well. Um, the other thing they could really use is some more quality out of Dave Mc, David McCormick, who's a big uh, freshman down low, who's a McDonald's All-America, but he has not played well trying to spell um, people, uh, spell Lawson and Azubuke off the bench. So they need those players to step up. Now, Self develops players really well, and this Kansas team last year looked pretty terrible for a while, and then they ended up making the Final Four. So Anything can happen. 
Um, they were really limping their way through Big Ten, Big Twelve play. Uh, but I'm not sure there's a um, Devontae Graham type player on this on this backcourt. You get spoiled watching Frank Mason one year and Devontae Graham the next year uh, play and anchor this team in the backcourt, and we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, Lawson is the type of player Bill Self used to build his team around, but this isn't college basketball f- five or six years ago. It's You need the guards to play well, and I'm really worried about this backcourt. Are you saying this might be uh, the low point of the backcourt since Nadir Tharp? <laughs> Nadir Tharp was uh, luckily not uh, called upon to lead the team, but I do think this is a they, this is a chance for some other teams in the Big 12 to make their mark. I'm not sure I'm all in on Iowa State, but Texas Tech with their defense uh, is the team that scares me. They're 2-0, and they have the number one defense in the country according to Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. Chris Beard's done an amazing job, so th- we'll see. I know you like to send the uh, the Who's song over here. Uh, every time I complain about Kansas, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. But uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, what are your thoughts on the on the Columbia Lions? Roar, lion, roar. I think they are a dumpster fire, but uh, at least they won on a buzzer beater against uh, the uh, lowly the, Bear, the Bearcats, Binghamton Bearcats. Yeah, 65-63. They actually fell behind in this game on a three with 0.8 seconds to go, and then made a three at the buzzer to win. There are three wins this year against Division One teams or against Bryant. Mm-hmm. Iona, Bulldogs, and Bing- Gales. Yep, yep, and Binghamton. Yeah, okay, I think uh, three on those. I saw Iona yeah, play in person this year, too. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Uh, they've lost two overtime games, once to Delaware, once to Rutgers. They lost on a buzzer beater. Blue Hens and Scarlet Wonder. Knights. Also. Yeah. Scarlet Knights. Oh, Rutgers. Yeah. What about Fordham? You, got, you know Fordham, too, right? I, I said Rutgers. You said Rutgers and Delaware. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and they also, the buzzer beater was to Fordham. Yeah, the Rams. Yeah, we know that. Okay. Yeah. Uh Anyway, I'm, we're all very impressed. But um, I think, can you name, tell me something. Can you tame a team that's won on a buzzer beater and lost on a buzzer beater this year? I don't know the answer, so. Um, it might be Columbia. They might be the only one. Yeah. I, we need to get, uh, I don't know, someone on it. Yeah, I don't Columbia. Know, are people track, do people track buzzer beaters? Is that something? There's that's, probably, that's if, you, if you went through the play-by-play data, you could probably, if you had a nice computer program, you could probably figure that out. I don't. Um, and it has to be a true buzzer beater. Ball out. In the air, horn goes, ball goes in, game over. None of the stuff where it goes through with like 0.2 seconds left. That's not a buzzer beater. Technically, all shots that go in are buzzer beaters. But anyway. Uh, so, yeah, Columbia, they have a game against Elmira on. Uh, we think about it. Am I wrong? <laughs> you say they have a game against Elmira? <laughs> yeah, they're playing Elmira on Saturday. You want to go? No. Isn't okay, Elmira yeah. used to be like a, like a minor league team of the Mets at one point, right? Uh, is was there an Elmira Mets? No, you you Google that, then I'll talk about the rest of the schedule. They play Cornell home and away. Oh, the Elmira Pioneers, 1964 Knights. Eastern League. They were a Baltimore Nailed Orioles it. affiliate. They won the league, 82-58. Wow, two games over the Reading Red Sox that year. That's a that's a heck of a team, nice. though, Elmira Pioneers. Let's see if they had any future uh, major leaguers. Oh, oh yeah, Paul Blair. Yeah, Andy Etcheberin. Yeah, they got some uh, some real. Uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, yeah, moving on. Can, uh, Columbia is going to uh, have a bit of a challenge in the Ivy League this year. But uh, they have Cornell uh, in a home-and-home, home, and then they go to Princeton, or they host Princeton and Penn um, before they play uh, Harvard and Dartmouth. And they play the best team in the Ivy League, Yale, uh, for the first time on uh, February 15th. So, yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, Ivy League is uh, decent, but... Um, we'll see how things go. There's you got Yale and Harvard, and then you got everybody else. 
Yeah, Yale and Harvard. Brown has surprisingly been pretty good this year. They're ten and four, one thirty-six in Ken Palm. Penn has uh, started strongly, but has has not done what was well recently. Losing by thirty-two at Toledo, losing at home to the very poor Monmouth team in overtime, and losing at Princeton in overtime. The only Ivy League conference game of the season so far. Um, but you know that that t- tier of Yale and Harvard. Then you have probably a tier that has like Princeton, Brown, and Penn, and then the last tier is Dartmouth, Columbia, and Cornell. Uh, the the lowest ranked team in the Ivy League is 258. Um, so the league is that's why the league is 12th overall. They're ahead of the Missouri Valley in the Southern Conference and Conference USA um, in uh, in Ken Palm. It's a uh, yeah, uh, fairly impressive, despite the fact that uh, you know it felt like the 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 salad days of the Ivy League were a few years ago when Columbia and Yale were, were quite good. Um, they were, but they were never ranked as high as 12th. The highest they got to was 13th in 2014. Um, and that year they actually had a lower uh, Kempom rating, even though they had Harvard at 32, Princeton at 100, and Columbia at 119 uh, because Cornell was 340th. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So it's my turn now to talk about my yeah. homers. Um, uh, Providence played uh, Villanova on Saturday, and uh, the first half was, um, without exaggeration, one of the poorest performances I'd ever seen Providence play in a, in a half. And this is a, someone who's watched them through the Keno Davis years, um, the awful Keno Davis years, to kind of paraphrase Colin Ray. Um, <laughs> so they were down by... No, it's it's rotten years, but anyway, go on. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I always barely miss the quote and then you're the, the correct me Tom that's why that's why we work together as a team yeah. um, so uh, the second half they came out with uh, with fire and energy but they were still down by 20 with 10 minutes to go and I was thinking you know what is going on here how did Villanova lose to all these teams you know they lost to Penn they lost to Furman um, Kansas yeah, Kansas well Kansas is, is pretty good. <laughs> um, and then and then I figured out they went um, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 straight positions without scoring. It was 60 to 40, and then it was 60 to 56. Providence made it a four-point game with um, a little under two minutes to go um, before uh, Phil Booth had an and one, um, and then Providence ended up losing by, by six. Uh, but one bright spot here is uh, Makai Ashton Langford. I've talked about him several times in the podcast, a top 40 recruit, originally committed to UConn, then changed his commitment to Providence. Um, he had been kind of sitting on the pine this year behind uh, freshman David Duke, um, another top 50 recruit, but Duke has struggled. Um, and Makai Ashley came in and played quite well, uh, sometimes alongside Duke, but really as the primary ball handler in this game. Um, right now in Biggie's play, he's uh, fifth in offensive rating. It's obviously very early, but fifth in offensive rating, fourth in true shooting percentage, second in three-point percentage, and second in block percentage as a point guard. Um, and he was making all the plays on the stretch on defense and offense. Unfortunately, with the Friars down by four in about 25 seconds left, he take the, took the ball up court. I guess he thought it was a three-point game because he wasn't showing any urgency to shoot. And finally, with about seven seconds left, with 18 seconds having run up the clock, Providence called timeout after a couple of veterans, Alpha Diallo and, and Isaiah Jackson, were yelling for the ball. And you could see in, in this probably the best game of his career. He scored a, a career-high 20 points. Um, you could see that uh, he was just despondent about the, the fact that he messed up this one play. But it just it, it reminds me of how... We see it from the outside, like from game to game. It's like, oh, some guy played well, some guy couldn't play well. This guy's hurt. They won a couple of games. They lost a few games. But 
these kids and the coaches are are day by day living and dying with every game. We hear it from Paul Weir and his frustration and how he said, I've been a bad father and a bad husband the last few years because I haven't been able to coach my team. And you can see it with a guy like Makai Ashton Langford. Was, he was buried in the bench. He didn't play in two games this year. And in um, six other games, he played nine or fewer minutes. Um, not even enough minutes to get an offensive rating on Ken Palm. And um, and now he's playing one of his best games of his career against defending national champions, and he makes this one boneheaded play, and like the kind of the roller coaster emotions. I, I would recommend a book that kind of brings you inside that experience, and it's from 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It's called uh, My Losing Season. It's by Pat Conroy, the same person who wrote Prince of Tides. Uh, I re- recommend that book for someone who just wants to see like a day-by-day experience, both of college life at the Citadel, <laughs> as well as playing basketball on the team with a coach you don't really like, and you're not like a star, and you're kind of come off the bench, and you play sometimes, sometimes you don't. And it was really well-written and interesting. It just shows, you know, she's on the brink did it as well in a different way in the 80s with Bob Knight and in Indiana, but, you know, just kind of day-by-day what it's like to live and die with something that is ultimately not really that important, um, but important to these uh, these players. Anyway, the Providence's offense has struggled the last few years. They're ninth this season in uh, the 10-team Big East offense efficiency thanks to Xavier's terrible performance at Marquette. But they're 10th in shooting, 10th in two-point shooting, 10th in free-throw shooting. And to really since LaDante Henton, who was an all-Big East uh, player, uh, the only player in Providence history to have 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds, or maybe the second player with uh, Ryan Gomes. I think probably the second player. Um, anyway... They have not had a good offense. They basically have been 92, 101, 199 the last four seasons. Um, but their their defense has improved in that time. They've been like a top 40 defensive team, a little bit lower than that this year. But they really haven't had a good offensive team uh, since that 2015 season. And the question is, how are they going to get back there? Um, and the answer is something that Cleveland's come up with between now and when they play Georgetown next weekend. They made the answer for the last five years, and it's certainly in jeopardy, especially with two losses that are looking worse and worse by the day to Wichita State uh, and UMass, neither of whom have really beaten anyone um, besides the Providence uh, wins on their on their resume. Oh, one more thing. Uh, we saw a trade this week where, uh, where a Kansas yeah. player and a Providence player traded in the same trade, Marshawn Brooks and Wayne Selden. They were both traded to the Bulls, right, for um, for Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday, yep, that's right, yeah. yeah. Marshawn Brooks uh, infamously was going to be part of that deal. It was like the three-team deal with the Suns and, and Washington. You know, I was in Hong Kong, and so it was a little hard to follow. But apparently the Suns thought they were getting Dylan Brooks, but the Brazilians were like, no, we want to give you Marshawn Brooks, which isn't really a good look for Marshawn. Uh, you know, he, but he, he's gotten his way back to the NBA after originally playing for the Nets and then kind of – not being able to get um, a roster spot. And he's, you know, been stuck in the NBA for a year or so. And he had a great run with Memphis last year. Wayne Selden has had a pretty good run, too. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Kansas's Wayne Selden now with, uh, I guess, the Bulls? Yeah, he's been playing okay. He's had a, he had a big dunk in the D-League over Rakeem Christmas. Um, and he also remember that big dunk in the, I think it was the Big 12 tournament over Baylor. Um, that one made famous for his uncle's reaction in the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Wayne Selden. There are always players popping around in the uh, random Kansas players popping up around in the NBA. Uh, I know Devontae Graham is now starting for the Hornets due to injury situation. Uh, Darrell Arthur, is he still in the NBA? Probably. Been around, been around for yeah. a while, yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I, I... Uh, no, actually, he has not played this year, I don't think. Yeah, Chris Dunn and uh, Marshawn Brooks are now on the same team, the Bulls, although I'm hearing that Marshawn Brooks may have been maybe cut or traded. He may have already been cut by the time that you listen to this podcast. Um, 
Uh, finally, Northwestern, uh, they had a really bad loss to Michigan State, the aforementioned game um, on Wednesday by 26. And they did defeat Illinois in a three-pointer in the final seconds by A.J. Turner yesterday in a home game they needed to win. Um, they seemed to control for most of the game, and then Illinois came back. They were going to win the game. Ultimately, they, Illinois missed a three-pointer that would have won the game. Um, it was a rough day for Illinois fans who were also Bears fans. The orange and blue did not fare very well. Um, yeah, Northwestern, this is the this is the wrong season to be a just-okay team in the Big Ten. There are too many very good teams. A just-okay team in the Big Ten last year might have won 10 conference games, uh, 10, when they've gone 10-8. and eight. A just-okay team this year might go like 6-14. and 14. That's how good the league is this year. Northwestern has a chance to uh, get back to, uh, I think, 2-3 and three in conference if they can beat Iowa on Wednesday at home. It's really a game you need to win if you want to. I'm, I'm not sure what the goal is. It's not really realistic that Northwestern would get into the NCAA tournament as an at-large, but if you do have the, your sights set on like an 11-9 and nine conference record that might get them in consideration, or 10-10, and 10, or maybe um, even 9-11 and 11 might get them in in this league, uh, a win over Iowa at home is a necessity, and then they go to Michigan on Sunday, which, uh, which could get ugly, especially with Northwestern's uh, mediocre defense. Yeah. Yeah. We have email. So, we have an email. Yeah. Correspondence. Yeah. From, uh, Brandon, how do you email us? Doublebonuspod at gmail.com, right, Brendan? Yeah. That's how you email us. Doublebonuspod yeah. Second at gmail.com. Email. Second email. And by the way, first email by Josh Lyman, uh, former chief of staff to Mount Matthew Santos. Um, we're still still working on figuring out who the best. Uh, one of the questions that we didn't address at the time was this person was an Arizona fan talked about how Arizona was point guard you and what were the other kind of like shooting guard you, small forward you, power forward you. So I've spent some time going through all American teams and I'm trying to kind of comb through that data to make sure we get a good answer and not just off the top of my head answer. So yeah, we're we'll not get there. It. Yeah, we'll get yeah. there, Josh. I mean, may not be to the off season, but um, you know. Anyway, what, what did anyway. Uh, what did our emailer have to say? Now, our emailer identified as the would-be assassin sent in this email. Just letting you know, I've been tracking the double bonus pod, listening as much as I can. I went through your latest top 25 on my way home from work last night and was honestly surprised you guys are both so high in my UVA squad. I think we've played no one, and I'm worried a few teams in the ACC will expose us as not as good as past years. Just like you said on the pod, that you wouldn't be surprised you wake up in a month. By the way, this email was sent before Saturday's uh, game against Florida State. Uh, if you wake up in a month and NC State has proved that they're more than just good by getting off to a hot AC start, I would not be—I would similarly not be surprised to see us in five weeks with a middling six and four, five and five conference record with two losses to Duke, proving that we're far from that caliber. I'm just skeptical of the confident high ranking. Like better how we came up with little fanfare last year because I'm not sure how we've gotten better than last year. And I think other teams like FSU, Vatech, and NC State have gotten better. Anyway, I was exposed, expecting you guys to roast us a little bit more, but maybe the numbers are just too good for that. I hope you're right. Hunter, Jerome, and Guy are really good. Just not sure if they're Final Four good. Their offense needs to keep getting better. Block and mover, block and mover. It's like Novocaine, I guess. Give it time and it'll work. That's a good description. Uh, to make up for not having a guy like Wilkins anchoring the defense this year, we'll get a good temperature check tomorrow at home versus the Knowles. So keep it up, fellas. All the best. Uh, the temperature check was extremely high in that game against Florida State. Uh, that was a as big as a one-sided a game and a major conference between two good teams as you'll ever see. Uh, the final score doesn't reflect it. I think it finished 65-52, but this game was a total thrashing. Yes, yeah, 55-32 at one point. And then it yeah, was 65-36 actually before Florida State ended on a 16-0 run. Um, yeah, it's, it's what happened was Virginia took out its players. Florida State not only uh, kept, I think it's kept its players in, but pressed the uh, reserves for Virginia 
and uh, made up a huge difference. But that uh, may help in the net, but it won't help anybody who watched this game from start to finish realize how well Virginia played and just how good their defense was in this game. And they, they took care of Florida State. So the would-be assassin, I think, will probably be a little bit more optimistic about Virginia uh, in the ACC. Um, the ACC obviously is loaded at the top, but uh, that was a very good start to their conference season, uh, beating um, Florida State so handily at home. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, Virginia at two. We both had Virginia at six in our first top 25 on November 26th. Um, this is in the top 25 of teams most likely to win the national title. And, and on January 1st, you had them at two. I had them at four. Um, and, of course, Kansas I had ahead of them, and not probably anymore without Udoka Azubuke, plus they've taken a, couple, taken a loss since then. You know, who else would could one put realistically ahead of Virginia? Nevada, you had fourth. Not anymore. I wouldn't think you had Kansas fifth. Kentucky, I you had sixth. I had seventh. Um, you know, I could I could see Gonzaga or maybe Tennessee or North Carolina. I mean, it's hard to put North Carolina ahead of Virginia. Um, you know, I think the lowest you could have Virginia right now to win this title would be like fifth if you really squinted and put Gonzaga and Tennessee ahead of them and Michigan, then you could be making fifth. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just don't. I, maybe they're pretty far from Duke still. I mean, you'll still find out they're going to play twice coming up pretty soon. Um, but they're also seemingly. Uh, either definitely clearly in the second tier or, you know, the Ken Palm has them a big gap between themselves and, and three and the rest. Yeah, I don't think that there's any way that Virginia is not a legitimate national title contender. I think their ACC play is key and may have a huge and maybe a disproportionate impact on their title chances just by affecting their seed. You know, if they stumble and they finish third and fourth in the SEC, that's a lot different from finishing second in the ACC behind Duke. That can be the difference between a two seed and a four seed, which could be the difference between playing, uh, you know, like Michigan in the Sweet 16 or Michigan in their national semifinal. Mm-hmm. So that is a big deal. But I think they're more than capable of finishing second in the ACC. And I think that with that would come a top two seed in the NCAA tournament. You look at Ken Palm right now in the projected standings. Um, even a team as good as Duke, uh, by far and away the highest efficiency margin is picked to go 15-3 and three in the ACC. That's how good the top of the ACC is. Virginia, North Carolina are at 13-5, Vatech at 12-6, and, and North Carolina State and Florida State at 11-7. So, you know, Virginia could play as well as it's played so far this season for the rest of the season and reasonably lose five more games. Uh, and then the question, would people say, oh, they're 25-5, and five, they're not actually that good? Uh, or would they say they're 25-5 and five in a really good ACC and they're actually a, a two-seed? Uh, or maybe even a one seed. Um, so I, I think that that, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see that they they have to play. They go to Clemson on Saturday, which is going to be a tough game. They go to they host Virginia Tech on January fifteenth. They go to Duke, um, and they I mean, and they also have to go to North Carolina State. They ha- they have to go to North Carolina. They host Duke. They go to Va Tech. They go to Louisville. They go to Syracuse. Um, I think that I would take the under of five losses. Um, but if they go fourteen and four, even it's, it's still a really good team. Kansas was a one seed last year and had seven losses entering the NCAA tournament. So they can look at the resume and see what's going on. Yeah. And in terms of the roster, why would they be better than last year? Well, DeAndre Hunter is a year more experienced and more involved in the offense. He's playing more. He's a, a, a got, um, he's even been more efficient and looking at his numbers. Let's see. He's uh, been more efficient while taking up actually less of possessions, but playing more minutes. Uh, so he's playing with better players. Um, you know, you have Braxton Key, who's a, a very good defender, 
um, played Alabama last year and is immediately eligible, and he's been another option on offense as well. Um, obviously, uh, Devin Hall and and um, and Wilkins are not back, um, but Ty Jerome is one of the best players in the country, I would argue, this year. Um, you know, he's probably a third-team All-American right now. Kyle Guy isn't that far behind him. Kyle Guy um, is out of control right now, shooting. Why? Yeah. So if you look at his recent numbers, he was 5 of 6 in that game against Florida State from 3, 7 of 9 against Marshall. Yeah. Um, he is 21 points, 30 points, 16 points, those 18 points, 15 points, 15 points, 18 points. Those are his last several games. So. Yeah, and Ty Jerome makes the offense go by both shooting well, 39% on threes, for instance, but also uh, leading the team in assists. Um, and they're really well coached. Like, uh, I, I, the question always is going to like this to me. The entire season is in this. I feel bad for Virginia. It doesn't almost. It's almost meaningless. They're going to be really good. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to be a high seed. The question is, what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament after? You know, it's not just. I've always been a big defender of Tony Bennett. Just like I have in Sean Miller, which is a little bit more of a speckled record, that he's going to get there eventually. He's going to get to the Final Four, just like Bill Self got to the Final Four and won a national title. Uh, it's going to happen. Um, but the, the track record is, is more than just one year. You know, they lost in the second round um, as a five seed by 26 to Florida uh, a couple years ago. Um, they did make the Elite Eight, and then they blew a double-digit lead in the second half to Syracuse in 2016. Um, in 2015, they were a two-seed and lost in a, to a um, probably underseeded Michigan State team in, in a 2-7 game um, that year. Um, and then in 2014, they were a one-seed, and they at Madison Square Garden, they lost to Michigan State again um, by two in that game. Um, yeah, they've only made two Sweet 16s under... Uh, Tony Bennett since he took over in 2011-12. So, yeah, and that's despite their yeah. Ken Palm ratings at the end of the season being 4, 6, 4, 12, and 2. They've made only two Sweet 16. So I think between now and then, and Selection Sunday, it's uh, they're going to be really good, and they're going to be interesting to watch. Depending, I don't know call them fun because they play so slow, but um, it, it's always gonna, it's going to be all built around March because this team has nothing else to prove in the regular season. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to um, some games to watch coming up. We actually have a really packed uh, schedule. We're going to do something a little different now. Basically, we're going to pick – Ken Palm rates all, every game. He calls it a fan match. Every, and we're going to pick every game that's at least 70 or higher. We're also going to pick two games you might not be um, uh, looking forward to necessarily that we want you to keep an eye on. Um, and I'm going to start because that game comes earlier in the week. Maryland at Minnesota. So Maryland had its first win over a ranked team. This is a very long period of time to go without a win against a ranked team as a major conference team. Since February 2016th when they beat Nebraska on Wednesday, they also beat Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, Bruno Fernandez and Jalen Smith are anchoring their front court. Both are playing very well of late. Um, they, you know, It's still a little bit awkward playing together as two big men, but uh, they made it work against Nebraska. And they're going up against a Minnesota team built around its uh, interior defense and also around its ability to offensive rebound. And so one wonders whether Maryland can go into Minnesota on Tuesday and uh, take away that strength of Minnesota's. Basically, all they do well is get to the foul line and offensive rebound Minnesota, um, and their defense is solid. As we saw against Wisconsin, they held Wisconsin to 52 points and .805 points for possessions when they when they won at Wisconsin last Thursday. Uh, they won that game by seven. It was the lowest allowed uh, points for possessions uh, by Minnesota since January 14, 2017, so almost two years. Um, They've played a tough Big Ten schedule to date. Um, they they played Nebraska and they played Wisconsin, um, and they and they beat both those teams. 
Um, and so they're two and one in conference, and they play Wisconsin on Tuesday. So that's that's the game, my game to watch. Check out Maryland at Minnesota. A couple of the coaches who came into the year a little bit on the hot seat: Richard Bettino and Mark Turgeon, uh, trying to get back to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, my game to watch is in the Big 12. We talked about how in the Big East, there's um, a bunch of teams in the middle of the conference. We talked about that for. Uh, other conferences, Oklahoma and TCU are two of those teams in the Big 12. We know Kansas is good. We know Texas Tech is good. Iowa State seems to be rising to the top. But what about Oklahoma and TCU? These teams are going to be battling out to be in the next tier or try to get into that top tier. Um, these games were very exciting last year. Of course, Trey Young was involved in both. Um, but TCU has really come on uh, strong. They had one bad loss to Lipscomb at the beginning of the year. But since then, they haven't lost. That was on November 20th, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, they beat uh, they beat SMU. They have not played a tough schedule, but they started a Big 12 play with a win over Baylor. They're going to have to go to Kansas before they play this game at Oklahoma. This is a, two, a tough two-game road swing for them. We know that TCU's uh, that Oklahoma's defense is really good, and this will be a good test for them because TCU moves the ball well. They get a lot of good looks from two. Um, they're a very smart team about how they shoot the ball, and then Oklahoma on the other side. Obviously, uh, they had that tough loss, to, not a tough loss to Kansas, but they uh, lost at Kansas to start their Big 12 season, and then they responded by defeating Oklahoma State at home by 10. Uh, they have Texas Tech away uh, on Tuesday, mm. so be an even more important game uh, when they come in and play TCU on Saturday. But they've been playing very well. Christian James is good. Brady Manick really gave Kansas fits. He's a rare guy who shoots well, spaces the floor end, gets a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, so this is going to be an uh, interesting game. Also, you can watch uh, G- Jamal Bienemy, son of former NFL player and head coach, or I think nephew, actually, of former NFL player and current head coaching candidate, Eric Bienemy. Well, that's a good nugget. It's a good nugget. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, so that's a game to watch. The Big 12, there are a lot of these games that pop up. Any game that doesn't involve West Virginia, basically, in the Big 12 is worth watching. Ouch. Wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. West Virginia has been bad, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, well, Javon Carter era, the post-Javon Carter era, is not, not going so well for Bob Huggins. Um, I was looking at Texas Tech when you mentioned that they were hosting uh, Oklahoma. Uh, they're also at Texas later in the week in a game that we're going to um, go through in our picks. They're first in the country in both three-point defense and two-point defense. And they're third in the country in forcing turnovers. Like it, it's, I don't think you've ever seen anything like this when it comes to a, a defense. Um, and... And it's 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 pretty awful to watch. I, I I have to admit, like watching Texas Tech play, it's like worse than watching Virginia play. Um, but uh, but it's really good. It's impressive. I I like to just like know Texas Tech is good, then see the score afterwards, and be like, wow, that's impressive, rather than actually having to sit through 40 minutes of, for instance, <laughs> yeah. Kansas State, Texas Tech. Yeah, pass. Yeah. Okay. Hey, but they're 13 and one, so. Yeah. Um, that's the one pick I have maybe where I picked a, the over under in our conference rankings that I'm going to get right is Texas Tech. I think they're picked seventh. Uh, the other ones aren't. Um, I picked, I think, Illinois over, not looking so hot. Arkansas under, not looking so hot. Um, hopefully your Providence under doesn't continue to look as good as it is right now. Right now, Providence is 10th. You get a lot of points on that. Uh, anyway, let's look at let's look at our picks. Um, you had another better week than me. Uh, there were three games that we picked that we, were, we differed on, and you won all three. That was nice. Mich- Michigan State, Ohio State. You picked Michigan State. Well, the winners are, are who Tom picked. Iowa, Nebraska, uh, game Iowa won, and Wisconsin, Penn State, again, Wisconsin won. I should probably stop picking the Big Ten. So this will be one of my conferences I'm following closely. Uh, you wouldn't know it by my picks. Um, 
so let's go game by game as we wrap up here. Uh, we have a lot of games to look at because there are a lot of good games. Uh, starting with that Minnesota-Maryland game I mentioned, we don't have to talk about it any further, but uh, but who's your pick, Tom? I took Maryland getting uh, one in yeah. Ken Palm Land against Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota's the one-point home favorite. I'm also taking Maryland. Um, also on Tuesday in the highest-rated um, fan match game of the week, North Carolina is giving a point um, at NC State. What do you think? Uh, I think North Carolina will take this one. I think Roy Williams is way into the uh, North Carolina State, North Carolina rivalry, even though it's not as hot as it's been in recent years. Uh, Carolina is a tough team to get a handle on. Like, are they really good? Are they okay? Are they good? Uh, but I think they'll beat NC State uh, in this game. Yeah, I am picking NC State. Um, I think it's the kind of game where NC State is like, it's not going to be their Super Bowl or whatever you want to call it or their national championship, but it's going to be a huge game for them. I could see this being a really close game. North Carolina State wins, and then when they get the return matchup February 5th, North Carolina really really hammers them. But I'm going to take North Carolina State in this game. What is the what is Roy Williams in, in that rivalry? What has he said? Is he like all what is he? I just think about? he just. I think I saw some tweets today about how they just you know like I think he came up he, like when he started coaching. North Carolina State was just. Um, was were a really good team. That was in like the 70s and 80s, and now they're just not the same thing. So I think like I think a lot of Carolina fans don't like how much um, Roy Williams cares about the North Carolina State games because they feel like they think it's below him to care so much. But that's just me. Uh, okay. The first, if you Google Roy Williams, the first news story is who dresses better, Roy Williams or Kevin Keats? Oh, that's something that uh, I learned about in. Um when I watched NC state game against uh, Miami on Thursday is that there's an entire room devoted to Kevin in, in his home um, devoted to Kevin Keats's shoes and his suits. It was a gift I think by his wife to him for uh, Christmas this year was this room. So um, yeah, I don't know. I would say Kevin Keats probably spends more time on his dress. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, if you saw Roy Williams uh, outfit for the 2008 national championship game, um, no, maybe, maybe just wearing a Jayhawk button. And one, one final four he wore a ridiculous tie. So I'm going to give it to Kevin Keats also. Just the color was way off. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he was wearing that huge button. I want to call it a, I want to call it a brooch. Whenever I think of like yeah. a massive, embarrassing brooch, I think of the Mary Tyler Moore show where Mary, no, no, Dick Van Dyke show where Mary Tyler Moore was, <laughs> was, was forced to wear this ugly brooch that was given to her as a gift. And, um, anyway, for, uh, Hilarity ensued. So check out the yeah. uh, Dick Van Dyke show if you haven't. Uh, I'm sure it's available <laughs> somewhere. Uh, Nick at night, maybe. Um, on Wednesday, we have three games. Um, we have Kansas TCU. Kansas gets uh, giving seven at home against TCU. Northwestern giving two at home against Iowa. And Auburn giving three at Mississippi. Uh, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm taking TCU because Kansas almost never covers. I'm taking... Uh, Northwestern, I think they're going to feel desperation early in their season, try to win this game. And then I'm also taking uh, Auburn against Mississippi, who I'm not quite sold on. Uh, so far, Auburn, again, we hasn't really been tested, but I think we'll see them uh, run out and come out and play well in this game. Uh, I'm going to disagree with the first two. I think it's going to be one of those kind of rally the troops games for Kansas where they're going to play one of their better games. TCU is not good on defense, which is, um, sorry, not, yeah, and Kansas struggles on offense. I feel like Kansas will score fairly easily against TCU and that TCU will struggle to score against Kansas, although Iowa State did not struggle to score against Kansas. Northwestern Iowa, that, that game, I think Iowa's offense will just be scoring too much for Northwestern, uh, whose offense tends to um, go into funks. And then finally, I'm agreeing with on Auburn. Um, Auburn's defense, uh, Auburn's pretty good. I, I was a little bit low on them last week in our um, – top 25 um but 
their defense is is quite good at forcing turnovers, and uh, Mississippi's offense is not good at preventing turnovers. It's their worst characteristic on offense, turning the ball over, so I think it's a bad combination. Uh, so I'll take uh, Auburn in that one. Um, moving on to uh, Friday night, uh, Wisconsin at home, giving four against the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting line in uh, Ken Palm land. And I am taking Wisconsin against Purdue. Uh, I think they've obviously had that loss against Eastern Kentucky a few weeks ago, but um, Purdue has had some weird losses too. They've been up and down, um, and I think Wisconsin's a little bit more consistent, so I'll take them. Yeah, I'm actually going to switch my pick. I think I had already written down Purdue, but I'm switching to Wisconsin just because I didn't realize was Purdue was already playing on Tuesday at Michigan State. So they're playing at Michigan State, and then they're going to play at Wisconsin on Friday night, a quick turnaround while Wisconsin isn't going to play at all until then. Um, I do like Purdue's offense. I think that their team is coming together well, but this might be a really rough week. Uh, it's just a, just a rough stretch of schedule, um, which is going to happen to a lot of teams in the Big Ten this year. Uh, Saturday, man, we have a lot of good games. Um, let's start with uh, Virginia at Clemson. Uh, Virginia giving six, uh, going to Clemson. Yeah, Clemson hung with Duke for about the first quarter of that game on Saturday night. Everyone was watching the NFL but you, Brendan. And uh, then Clemson got blown out. And I like Virginia uh, in this game just because I think their defense is going to shut down Clemson. Yeah, I think this is one of the games where Virginia um, might struggle to score a little bit. Clemson's defense is pretty good. I think maybe a little bit actually underrated by on Ken Palm uh, at 41st that uh, three-point percentage and two-point defense sorry three-point and free-throw defense are not good obviously free-throw defense is not really a thing although uh, there are pretty big disparities in free-throw defense each year um, so I, I'll just take Clemson to cover I don't think they're, they're gonna win but I'll take them to cover um, next is Georgetown a two-point favorite against Providence um, in DC yeah, I like Providence. Georgetown struggled in close games. I think Ed Cooley is going to get his team sorted to some extent. I know you think that they have a good shot of turning things around. and They've looked, They've had stretches where you think there's no way his team makes the NCAA tournament and they end up making it. And so I think Cooley is very good at getting his team and like stopping the bleeding, and I think they'll stop it in uh, D.C. Yeah, Providence hasn't lost to Georgetown in a very long time. Um, I'm, I'm looking backwards. I'm seeing six straight wins against Georgetown, eight straight wins against Georgetown. Um, their last w- loss to Georgetown was on Monday, February 10th, uh, 2014. Uh, and that was at Georgetown by 12. Uh, I believe that was President's Day, based on the schedule. Um, you know, they do have a good record against Creighton as well, but Providence lost to Creighton. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that Providence has a full week to prepare for this game. Georgetown does have to, pl- does have to play in between, uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they play at Xavier in between. So I'm going to take Georgetown as uh, Providence as well. Um, Texas home, Texas Tech. Uh, Texas favored by one at home against Texas Tech. Take, give me the defense of Chris Beard. I don't want to watch this game, but I want. Te- I think Texas Tech will win. Um, Texas has been up and down, but Texas Tech is really, except for 10 minutes against Duke, is, is 10 minutes against Duke from away from a perfect season. Uh, so we'll take Texas. I'll take Texas Tech. Yeah, I don't think the actual spread will be Texas, Texas favored by one. Um, although I guess it could be. Um, Texas's offense can get be really ugly at times. I saw that against Providence. Um, and Texas Tech can make you look ugly even when you're not. Uh, anyway, let's go, we're going with Texas Tech. Um, the next game we have Duke at home favored by seven against Florida State. Uh, yeah, I just don't trust Florida State uh, to keep this game within seven points. 
Last year, these two teams played, ironically, they score. Coincidentally, the score was by 7, 100-93. Duke scored 97 points, totally different team, only three from the bench. Um, this year will be a little different, but I still like Duke and uh, the Zions to uh, get their way through this one. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, I just It's just hard to uh, pick a team at Duke to uh, cover a single digit spread at this point, unless that team is like Virginia. Um, Iowa favored by one at home against Ohio State. Yeah, I like Ohio State to uh, cover this one. They didn't look that bad against Michigan State. I know Michigan State was down a player, but Ohio State was in that game for long stretches, and I think they've been very good under Chris Holtman. They've been really the surprise of the Big Ten, and uh, Iowa has been a little inconsistent, so I'll take Iowa, Ohio State on the road. Yeah, I'm banking on that inconsistency because um, I'm picking Iowa to win on the road at Northwestern, but then to lose at home to Ohio State, so I'm going to agree with you on that one as well. Um, our last three Saturday games, and we have two Sunday games. Uh, Kansas, four-point favorite at Baylor. Tennessee, one-point favorite at Florida. Gonzaga, six-point favorite at San Francisco. What do you think about these three uh, road um, favorites? Uh, Kansas-Baylor makes me nervous just because Baylor, conversely, the converse of TCU is good at defense and bad at offense, and I think that could give Kansas some trouble. Kansas has played some weird games at Baylor. They own Baylor at home, but they've always seemed to struggle to play in that building, so I'm not super confident in them. Tennessee only by one at Florida. Tennessee has looked really good this year. Uh, their only losses against Kansas on a neutral. They, I don't know if you saw this the score against Georgia this weekend. They won 96 to 50, and just throttled them. Um, they scored 1.3, 1.32 points per possession in that game. Um, they only made six threes the whole game, so <laughs> I think they're they'll be able. Okay, against Florida. And then give me San Francisco, Kyle Smith. Columbia misses him. Uh, they may not win this game, but I think they'll, it'll be a very close game against Gonzaga, even though Gonzaga is now at uh, full strength with uh, Tilly Tilly, Tilly and Gino Crandall yeah, are Crandall, both back. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to take Kansas again, even though I always lose my pick Kansas and you don't. Um, and I'm going to take Tennessee as well. But USF-Gonzaga, I watched the USF-St. Um, Mary's game last week a game that USF uh, controlled most of, but then almost lost. Um, they, they run a really smooth offense uh, uh, with Frankie Ferrari in the backcourt. Uh, great name, also. Um, in that in that game, Karan Butler was doing color. Uh, he's not bad, as uh, Jim Calhoun would say. Um, he also thinks Michael Jordan is the best player ever, which is stunning for a player of his age. Um, in addition, the reason it came up is Bill Cartwright was at, was at that game. Uh, a USF alum. Um, this is the kind of game where once the game starts, who do I wish I've, I would have picked? And the answer is going to be Gonzaga. Uh, to teams, it reminds me of the Florida State-Duke game. I just don't like... Uh, I mean, this is different because it's at USF, but I, a, game, a team that can play as good on offense as Gonzaga, USF could play great and be in the game the whole way and then lose by 11. And, and then True. they would have favored, been covered by five. So... I'm going with Gonzaga. Finally, our two games on Sunday, we have Creighton um, at home, a one-point favorite over Villanova, and we have Michigan at home, a 12-point favorite over Northwestern. Uh, yeah, the uh, Villanova-Creighton game, it's a one-point game. Villanova's played better of late. They're just so inconsistent, even within game to game, or within the game, as you've uh, pointed out, but they've now won three straight. Uh, they had the hiccup against Furman. Um, the other bad loss, obviously, was to Penn, but they've played 
fine. So I'm going to take them. <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah, they're fine. I don't, no, I, don't I just like the way you either. said it. I think yeah. it's true. They've played fine. They're like, they're yeah. fine. No one needs to freak out about them. Like, it's a disappointing start for them, but they're not like a total embarrassment. Um, like, who's who's had a better season, Villanova or Florida? Villanova, definitely. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, and then the other game, I'm giving Northwestern. They played them tough uh, in Evanston, and I think that Michigan is not the type of team that necessarily – well, actually, they've blown out a lot of guys, a lot of teams. <laughs> but I don't think Northwestern is going to get blown out. Yeah, I went uh, against you on both of these. I picked Creighton. Um... Villanova's defense is not great, and Creighton at home, I feel like, will hit some shots. That's how they win. That's the only way they win. They need to hit a lot of shots, um, and I think that they will in that game. Uh, Northwestern, Michigan, I, I really was thinking Northwestern in this game, and then I just think Northwestern's going to struggle to score um, against Michigan on the road, and ultimately it'll be something like 64-49 that they'll lose, um, and... Uh, Northwestern will fall. If I'm right on both games, they will fall to one and five in conference, which would be not good. No, would it? Well, I mean, but biggest. This could be the biggest week of the season so far, Brendan. I would think. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of a lot of good games. We'll know a lot more. You know, that's one of my favorite thing about a season like this, especially one where it's not actual standings, is that you, like every game you just learn more about a team and your evaluation changes ever so slightly, but kind of consistently over the year. Um, and so we'll learn more about Kansas and Providence and Northwestern, and we'll learn more about NC State and uh, and Texas and Florida um, and Duke and and then and USF and Gonzaga. And then by the time I get to next Monday, we'll have uh, we'll have some new thoughts and some new bad predictions uh, to share with you. Speak for yourself. I'm over 500. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for yeah. joining us on this uh, the 11th episode of the Double Bonus Podcast. Again, subscribe on um, Google Podcasts or Google Play Music and on Spotify and on a- Apple iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Double Bonus Pod. Um, and also f- go to our website, doublebonuspod.com, or email us, doublebonuspod at gmail.com. Any final thoughts for the next week of uh, the season or, or for life, Tom? <laughs> life? Yeah. No, I have no thoughts on life. Okay. It's, well, good, it's good while it lasts. Uh, are you traveling at all this week? Uh, I will be going up uh, to what you would call God's country, yeah. New England. Oh. Yeah. The Fox yeah. Rocks is what I hear. Although it's not yeah. called the Fox anymore. It's called Gillette. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. It, a question for you, Tom. This is more of a Zen question. Is Gillette <laughs> really the best a man can get? Stadium or Razor? Um, the the Razor. Uh, I use knockoffs, so I would not be the person to ask. The Atra cartridge that was invented by Gillette like, is a pretty good way to shave, but... Um, I don't use, I don't think, I think those like four or five blade Mach six, whatever they are, don't, don't need them. Just stick, stick to the basics. True story. Um, (laughs) in Jurassic Park, uh, when, uh, Wayne Knight was, uh, showing off the, um, the, uh, shaving cream that was, it was Barbasol, right? Yep. And, um, uh, my wife, uh, Teresa didn't realize that Barbasol was a real brand until, uh, I guess she had been watching it while she was in Hong Kong. She came to America and she noticed that I was using Barbasol and, uh, and then realized that Barbasol was a real thing. And that was something made up for Jurassic Park. So. Yeah. yeah. 125 or 126 into the podcast, Brennan says, yes, let's add a good Jurassic Park anecdote <laughs> to cap things off. <laughs> uh, okay. Play us out, Dick Enberg. The star for Indiana off the bench has been Moye, a four-point game. Ewing fires the three. Not there. Williams looks for the three. 
Oh, he scores and he's fouled. A chance to tie. Unbelievable. The Duke Magic trailing by four and 11 seconds to go. They miss the three, get the long rebound. Williams hits the three and he is fouled. Oh, this is incredible. And clearly he was fouled. Actually, Mike Krzyzewski at least signaled to his team that he wanted to, the timeout. Daniel Ewing just came down and fired away. And terrific body control by Williams leaning into Jeffrey Newton. I said he would be the wild card in this game, but I never thought it would be on a play like that to let Duke maybe back in. He misses the free throw. Monster gets the rebound. Tipped again. Rebounded by Indiana. The game is over.